Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Hoya Insider Podcast presented by PNC. I'm Jeremy Huber. The Hoya Insider is your home for the stories of coaches, staff, and others from and tied to the Georgetown Athletics Department. We're joined on the show today by Georgetown Chaplain to Athletics, Tony Mazurkowitz. Tony was an all-conference football player at Yale who eventually transitioned from teaching to joining the Carmelite Religious Order, where he served as a brother and then priest for 15 years. Eventually, he left to start a family, then joined the Georgetown staff in the residential ministry department before taking his current position. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Jeremy. It's great to be with you today. And Tony, you've got such an interesting story, and I, I think everyone's going to love hearing about it. But as we normally do on these, we like to kind of go back to folks' early upbringings, and it kind of maybe gives a picture of what they end up becoming. Um, you're a kid, Midwestern kid, grew up in the Chicago area. Tell me about how you kind of grew up out there. Yeah, just outside the Chicagoland area. Uh, dad, uh, Vietnam veteran. Mom worked three jobs in high school. I uh, was a banquet manager, waitress for a little while. Um, older sister, a lot of cousins, you know, that were around. Uh, so most of my memories from childhood growing up were, you know, just uh, hanging out with cousins, every sport possible, well, mostly basketball, football, and baseball. But um, just a lot of good sports, a lot of good fun, uh, a lot of good family time. Uh, and a lot of good, uh, a lot of good, you know, family values too. And it's funny you mentioned your father's time in Vietnam. He actually kind of had a bit of a celebrity, uh, maybe a connection over there. Fred Smith from uh, FedEx was his company commander. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, um, my dad was a, uh, uh, you know, graduated from high school. You know, went to went to Vietnam, uh, wanted to see the world. Uh, little did he know what he was going to see. Um, front line of, of uh, Grunt, uh, the Marines on the front lines, and um, came back and, and worked in a factory for many years. And then a factory after 30 plus years closed. Uh, and uh, he actually reached out to Fred Smith because he knew Fred was in the industry. And uh, I think they had some conversations and, and I don't think he was ready to move further south. Um, I think some things may have happened there, but uh, eventually he was able to get himself back and, and um, himself back in, in line and, and make things happen but uh, he did reconnect with him uh back uh, a couple of years later if you will it's funny you also mentioned your sister uh, tina and there was an interesting thing in doing some research for this that there were it was an article i read that your sister i guess was tasked with you know when she could drive i guess kind of taking you and her to mass and ccd and she'd say things like uh, let's just write or get a bulletin and get out of here and go do something else. And you really want to hold her feet to the fire. It's like, no, if we're going to go to mass, we're really going to go to mass. Wow. You, you did your homework, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> I'd like to say that was always true. I think I may have said, great. I'll go in and get the bulletin. Let's go to, let's go to a uh, breakfast. Um, yeah. You know, I was grateful to have a you know great relationship with my sister then and, and even now. And um, yeah, you know, grateful that CCD for those uh, eight years, all the way up until, High school, and even to go to a you know Mount Carmel High School on the south side of Chicago. It's uh, 121 years now of serving um, young men in the Chicagoland area, Catholic school, and uh, so grateful to have those years of Catholic education. Yeah, and again, you were there, and that would kind of shape things in your life. But we'll kind of get back to that. I want to go on to your college years, and you ended up at an Ivy League school out at Yale. What was kind of the impetus to go and 
play for them and go to school there and play football there. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy, thanks for asking. Uh, my freshman year, we were at the uh, honors banquet, and I can still remember to this day, um, two of our guys uh, were graduating from Mount Carmel, and both of them were going to Yale. Both were offensive linemen. Uh, and I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't that be a great place to play? I, I knew I wasn't uh, fast enough or big enough to play at a big-time Division One school, but I knew that'd be a great balance of, of education, uh, you know, and athletics. Uh, and I was fortunate enough, a, a great academic school, a great athletic school, uh, some great coaches and great teams that fortunately put me in a position, you know, to be able to, uh, to head out there and, and, and really grateful for that experience. It was really an awesome four years and um, really uh, a lot of gratitude for that journey. You're not a guy that strikes me on who scares easy, but at some point being a Chicago kid, it had to be a little bit frightening to go, okay, I'm going to go to this elite institution and not one that's close to me. This is on the other side of America. And again, this is the nineties where it wasn't, you know, we didn't all have, you know, where we could do a phone call, but you couldn't do FaceTime. You couldn't do all those different things. Was there some apprehension to you to say, Hey, this is getting out of my comfort zone. Yeah, there's two, maybe two memories I'll share in particular, Jeremy. Uh, one was uh, when I got accepted to Yale, some buddies from grammar school I'd grown up with, they, we were out, I think, you know, some mall or something like that. And they were all like, all right, it's tea time, Tony. You know, I was going out to Yale, Ivy League school. So we're like, you know, put this sweater around my neck and it's like, it's tea time. And I'm like, all right. Um, <laughs> even going out there, yeah, a little bit of fear. Um, and then my freshman year, my first exam was in psychology. And I set the curve, Jeremy, on the wrong end. <laughs> Um, you know, fortunately I, I was, I, I did fine. I did, you know, did, did, you know, work my tail off academically and I've got great, great teachers and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a tough transition, you know, tough transition to, uh, um, to that caliber of, 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 a, of an academic institution. Um, uh, and then to balance that with athletics too, particularly, you know, with a, a football program. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a transition. You're able to thrive, though, on the gridiron as you end up making uh, all Ivy by the time you're done. Captain of the team, at some point, you know, do you kind of sit there and pinch yourself and say, you know, I obviously, like you mentioned, you weren't playing at Notre Dame or Alabama at the time, but you're at a place where people care a lot about football at Yale, and you're the captain of the team. Is there a point you kind of said, wow, this is kind of cool? Well, I <laughs> Possibly. I remember the day that uh, the, the election came out and, and I was, you know, just so grateful. You know, I, I played with some, some wonderful guys and, and some great leaders right all around. And uh, the first place I went on the way back, you know, I, I, I walked right by the church and, and, you know, got right down on the knees and said, all right, well, I was pretty clear. I said, look, look, God, you know, it's pretty clear. I am not the best athlete. I am. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. I'm far from the best out there. But there's something, you know, that, that you've called me to help do. Um, and, and it was to help lead. And, and I, I knew right from in there that it was to really to continue to amplify and, and to, to um, strengthen the leaders that we already had on our team. And, and I was grateful for that, you know, that opportunity. And, and for me, it was really a, a, a call to serve. Um, and uh, maybe some of that service meant pinching um, myself and others too at times, but a lot of gratitude went into that for me. And Tony, you mentioned leaders and your college coach, a guy who, uh, and Karm Koza, who not only has time at Yale, but kind of came from that cradle of coaches they talk about at Miami of Ohio, where he was, I believe, played and coached under Woody Hayes and Aeropar Segan, was a teammate of Bo Schembechler, um, John Pont, a really good coach out at Indiana as well. Um, what did you, lessons you take from Coach Koza? 
Yeah, Jeremy, Co- Coach Coza was was a wisdom figure, right? He had, at that point, 30-plus years of coaching, and he really knew what the game was about. You know, he really knew that it was the deeper values that, that were central to us being out there. And at that point, he really had empowered his coaches to really have those really strong relationships, you know, with, with the guys in, in terms of positions. And so I was really grateful for that, too, that, that he really wanted to make sure, like, for instance, you know, um, Bob Stoop was my, my defensive coordinator and then my defensive back coach for two years. And, you know, I had a great, great, you know, we'd go to his house over for dinner and, and um, just a great relationship with him. And I think at that point in, in Carmen, Carmen's career, I think he realized as a head coach, for him to have an impact as a coach at this level, that his assistant coaches really had to have that strong, deep, almost a father-like figure in, in, in my life and the life of my teammates. And I think I can't imagine that was easy as a head coach, uh, but I think he realized that um, at that stage in his career that, that really for him to continue to make an impact, that he had to make sure that his coaches had that uh, relationship as well. So a great man to play under and, and really a wisdom figure in more ways than, than I can say uh, now for sure. Couple more fun ones from your time there. Uh, what was it like playing in that great rivalry, Harvard versus Yale? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, th- those were great, great games, and always I think thirty, almost forty plus in the stadium each of those games. You know, uh, two of them at Yale, one at Harvard. Uh, I'd like to say I remember more of those two wins, my sophomore and junior year, but I remember unfortunately that last uh, that last one uh, that we played and. Uh, we had we had just gone up with about a minute and a half left in the game, so all we had to do on the defensive side, I was a defensive back, was was hold them, um, and we win, and, and I'm smiling even today. Uh, but uh, in a matter of a minute and a half, they made about three passes, one over the middle. Our linebacker almost intercepted it and uh, didn't. It got tapped. The receiver catches it, and before you know it, they're inside the 20. And uh, I can still remember lining up against the receiver, and I looked him, and I looked over in the, the quarterback, and. As I'm looking at the quarterback, I take a step back. You know, you know anything about defensive backs, it's six yards and that's it. You don't take a step back. But part of that step back was like, I was kind of scared. Like, I hope he doesn't throw it my way. You know, when they threw it my way, he caught it. He didn't score a touchdown, but he got seven yards. You know, and, and one thing led to another, they ended up scoring. And I tell that story because at the end of my career, here I am ready to make a big play and I, I let fear creep in. And so I often will tell that story to some of our student athletes that, you know, our mindset on the field, you know, is so important. And, and if, if we've got to be as strong as we can, strengthen that muscle. Uh, and sometimes if it's not strong, that fear creeps in. So I'm hopefully uh, learning from that lesson, you know, uh, 25 years later, uh, when fear comes in, try to name it and try to work through it. But uh, some great memories uh, and some great, uh, great teams that I played on in those games too. Tony, I'd be amiss if I didn't ask you about this. And again, if it's like Fight Club, you don't have to talk about it. But I believe you have a connection with Skull and Bones at Yale. <laughs> Maybe some smiles. That's good, Jeremy. You've done your homework. Um, <laughs> great, great, great people. Let's just say that. Great people. Uh, some of my, my, my best friends, you know, today. And, and um, uh, you know, really, I, I think you look at the college experience and, and whatever – opportunities come along you know I, I, I my advice walking with our student athletes and our students as well you know is really to make the most of your college experience and and you never know what events or opportunities will come along the way and maybe just say yes you, you might know it might might lead to some really special things so grateful for that opportunity and and we can talk more out later offline jeremy if you want but we'll have to talk about what it means afterwards 
<laughs> you end up with a history degree at Yale, but it seems like from doing a little reading on you that the religious side of you was kind of maybe coming out towards the end of your studies. Talk about how there was that history focus and end up getting the degree, but maybe that's not where your heart was. Yeah, I, I love history and I love just because the professors were, were phenomenal, uh, you know, at Yale. And I just was like one course after another. I'm like, all right, great. This is fun. And I love going to class. And I took a hodgepodge, you know, is everything from I took a lot of Russian history courses, some Mexican history courses. I took a course on, you know, Vietnam and, uh, you know, those two were on the revolutions. You know, I think there's something about the, the voice of the people, if you will. And I even did my essay, my senior essay on, on the Tet Offensive of the Marine uh of the uh, Vietnam War and the effects of the morale in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, based on some of my dad's story, interviewed a lot of Marines and, um, you know, I, I loved it. Just a great experience there. But I, I took a, my first religious studies course my second semester senior year. And, and I talked to our student athletes that second semester senior year after a season is not probably your best season. Um, and I wish I'd gone to more of those classes. Um, but there was something about that class I took. It stirred a little bit of um, excitement, if you will. Um, and it wasn't until later that I realized, wow, there's maybe something here I need to pay attention to. But uh, again, grateful for that history, history journey. And, and especially now, you know, looking at our, our present, uh, uh, looking at the reality of history now and knowing, look, if we're not going to repeat some of the same patterns, we've got to know our history. And Tony, when you went to kind of maybe get some advice on the religious route, you went back to an old contact from Mount Carmel. Tell me a bit about Benjamin Aguiar or Benji the priest. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, they know him as Padre. Uh, he's, a, he's a special, special friend. And, you know, I had spent uh, several years teaching in Boston in uh, the Boston Renaissance Charter School, such the largest charter school in the country at the time. Loving that, uh, loving working with young people with sixth grade through high school those years, um, working in, um, in curriculum development, teaching history, Spanish, a couple other subjects. But I was missing community. I was missing that sense of, of connection. You know, I had a lot of that in, you know, in college and in, in athletics and uh, in the regiment as well, if you will, of, of just that day to day, you know, um, practice, if you will. And so I happened to reach out to him. I, I was going to plan on going to Harvard to work on my education degree, getting a master's in education, and was accepted and ready to go. And and was chatting with him about some things, and it just wasn't it wasn't the right fit. And he said, "Hey, why don't you consider living with us for a year?" And I said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. The Carmelites? You're a religious order in the church. You guys are like priests." <laughs> and I he said, "Look, see what you think. Try it for a year, and and no strings attached." And and I did, you know, I lived with them for that year. Uh, I put off graduate school. I worked at Mount Carmel High School where I'd gone as a student. Um, and it was a wonderful year, you know, really a gift of, of community, uh, of, of service. I was working in the school and then of prayer. You know, in many ways I had, I had that life as a, as a student athlete where a lot of regimen, a lot of discipline. And so we had uh, prayer, you know, a pretty regimen style of prayer, not, not too strong, but enough to where it was an important part of our life. And, and living with those guys was, was a great joy and it led to another 15 year journey that uh, that i'm really grateful for and before we kind of get into that the carmelite order as i told we talked about before we got going i i'm a catholic kid and i kind of remember the different orders coming in to maybe do homilies as guest speakers and the the carmelites kind of have that uh quote unquote they're the fun priests if you will they're the, so what drew you to kind of their order yeah, I love that. That's a fun priest. I, I was funny when I was uh, the Carmelite there, I would often ask uh, the guys who come in and I'm like, hey, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? They'd be like, easy, easy, Father. Easy. Um, 
you know, uh, but yeah, the Carmelites, you know, I, I, they were really, really just good people. Um, you know, I was part of a men's order, but even the women throughout the world, actually more women Carmelites throughout the world than there are men. And really that combination of community of prayer and service uh, and really people have given their lives over to, to wanting to accompany others in their journeys. Um, uh, you know, and they draw from two figures as well, particularly the Elijah, the prophet, you know, who was really standing for justice. You know, I think that was something that really spoke to me. I don't think I knew that as much until I joined the order and it really spoke to me. And then Mary, you know, Mary as, as the contemplative, Mary as the one who's willing to, when, when it's not quite clear the way forward, that she says yes, you know, and that she's willing to, to be open to what maybe God has in store. So, uh, yeah, yeah, a great order and, and some really, really just good, good people. We'll touch a little more on Tony's time with the Carmelites, also his transition to Georgetown and his current role coming up on the Hoya Insider Podcast presented by PNC. As the official bank of the Georgetown Hoyas, PNC Bank is committed to all those who are rooting for the home team. With Virtual Wallet, you'll get a breakdown of your budget and see how much is scheduled out of your bills versus how much is left to spend. So you know when it's the perfect time to buy tickets to the big game. To learn more, visit pnc.com slash virtual wallet. PNC Bank, official bank of the Georgetown Hoyas. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. 2019 PNC Bank National Association member F. DIC. In 1979, Jiffy Lube provided the world's first quick oil change with no appointment, and that changed everything. And now, 40 years later, it's time to change everything again. Introducing Jiffy Lube MultiCare, where at participating locations, you can now get the same fast and convenient no appointment service on brakes, batteries, spark plugs, and more, performed by our highly trained technicians. Playing Jiffy Lube MultiCare. Jiffy Lube Multicare. Now, more than ever, you can do more in a Jiffy. For Hoya fans, Saturday is game day. For business owners, it's another day in your work week. UPS gets that, and that's why they're offering Saturday delivery, so you can keep things running smoothly even while your customers drop everything for the game. Stay on top of your game. Ship with UPS, official logistics company of Georgetown Athletics. Well, Tony, we talked about your time kind of getting in with the Carmelites. When did you kind of have the idea this is something you wanted to do long term? Yeah, Jeremy, good question. You know, I, I did that live-in year, you know, with the Carmelites. Um, and I really think it was that live-in year. You know, it was, uh, it was that opportunity to, to live alongside these, these men uh, who had chosen this life. And really to see how they were embodying this life in a really, for the most part, a healthy way, right? And and in a life-giving way, in a, in a joyful way. And I think of, you know, guys like Padre or Father Carl or or others that I live with that were really just excited about getting up in the morning, excited about doing what they were doing. And I think that's part of what really, I think, led me to say yes to 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 that uh, commitment, if you will, you know, to God. Really, I think that's really what it was of where we all find different ways of making our commitments in life. And for me, it was to God at that point. And, and it just seemed to make sense at that point to, to go forward. I think I kept hearing like, Hey, if this is something that makes sense now, maybe be open to saying yes. And, and their formation process is pretty intense. It's a good, you know, eight, eight year journey um, of formation where they really help you grow into what it means to embody this way of life. And we're really grateful for the, 
the formators and and the and the people and the and the men I live with and and the people I serve with, you know, throughout those years. So I think it was a gradual process that I kept living into uh, over time, and and then eventually saying yes to. And Tony, you know, you ended up doing this with the Carmelites as a brother and then as a priest for 15 years. Some folks know you've spent time as the president of your old high school, Mount Carmel, and obviously kind of get an idea what you were doing at that point, you know, overseeing a school. But that time in between, what were some of your duties and things you did kind of in your transition, eventually becoming uh, the guy who was heading up a Catholic high school? Yeah, Jeremy, it's, it's great because so much of those years of formation, initial formation, if you will, are, are I, I served in, in um, some different juvenile detention centers. So really accompanying those who have been incarcerated and listening to their stories and just to hear the humanness of our journey and to really identify with the dignity of every human being. Uh, I lived in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, working with uh, some of our migrant community and, and really hearing their stories and, and what their journey is like. Uh, I taught it at Presby Carmelite High School, you know, one of the Carmelite high schools in, in L.A. and coached there as well. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. Um, uh, and then, you know, when right, be right before um, my first year with the Carmelites, you know, I, I lived in South Central Los Angeles um, in a mostly mostly Latino and some African-American community and, and a black uh, community as well. Uh, and and really just to to listen to the voices of that community and to accompany them and I even preached in Spanish, and so I, I do a lot of, of asking God for forgiveness uh, and praying for the community that listened to me preach in Spanish uh, Sunday after Sunday. Um, but really, it was a special time, a special community. Um, some of the Carmelites that lived with there, too, were, were really good people. Um, and then that, that year of living in South Central, I then moved back to Mount Carmel uh, in Chicago, one of the communities there, uh, and did a living year. Uh, to discern ways forward. And some of that was to pursue a higher degree in education, starting spirituality. Um, and then at that time, Father Carl Markels, who had been the president and principal at Mount Carmel for almost 15 years, I think it was 15 actually, he was moving on. And so it was that point where where I um, put my name in the hat and said, if this is you know where the Carmelites think I, I, I can serve best, and if others feel like I could serve this community, that I'd be open to that, um, and it just so happened that I was chosen to be that the president for those five years, and, and a great journey. Before we kind of get into your transition towards Georgetown, I, this is one of the things I'm, you know, an old football player, and I, I was a, a Washington football team fan, and Joe Gibbs was kind of known as a guy who would kind of adjust his attack on what he had. It seems like with you. Because and, and the Carmelites, but especially you, you've done so much in so many different places where the message would seemingly there's one message, but it may have to be presented differently. Is that a way that really between, you know, at high school or a prison or all these different places, is that a, something that you kind of have to work on and say, how can I get this across effectively to these different groups that I have to work with? Yeah, Jeremy, another another great question. Great insight there. Um I want to bring up Father Peter Hines, uh, who is now gone to God. Um, Father Peter lived down on the border in Juarez, Mexico, and I had a chance to visit him uh, and Sister Betty down there for a little over a week, several, several years ago when I was Carmelite. And, and he, he would talk about accompaniento, which is accompaniment. And I think if I look back on that journey and, and he's talking about sort of translating in different uh, communities and different uh, environments, I think that's really what it comes down to is accompaniment. And I think that was at the root of, of that 15 year journey with the Carmelites is, you know, really being accompanied first and foremost by God, right? And then by a brotherhood and then by an opportunity to serve. And 
in all those communities that I walked in, I, I tell you, Jeremy, that it's not a day goes by where there isn't, you know, one member of one of those communities, you know, whether it's in service or living with or um, others that, that don't come up, you know, in the sense of still being with me on the journey. And, and it goes back to just being grateful to accompany them on the journey. And um, I wasn't, it wasn't necessarily anything I had to say or anything I had to do it was really um, in many ways listening to them um, and, and being able to just, uh, either amplify a voice or, you know, maybe nudge in a direction. Um, but most of the time for me to be led back to God, if you will. Tony, vocations are a big thing in the Catholic Church. And people say, you know, your vocation as a priest or your vocation can be as, you know, as a father or those different things and not a not a religious father, but actually father of a family. Um, you kind of, again, switch streams and went come to Georgetown and end up starting a family can you kind of give us some insight on how that kind of hit you and came about yeah thanks for asking jeremy uh probably the first time probably speaking about it too so it's a good good process uh you know i've been with with the carmelites like i said 15 years and and really like i so much of that was was gift right and, and gratitude and at the same time you know always a tug for a life partner uh and not knowing if if that was going to be possible um but that tug kept coming back and it kept getting stronger and stronger and was one that I had to listen to. Uh, and so I knew if that was the case that I had to, you know, end that experience at Mount Carmel, you know, and, 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 and um, help Mount Carmel move on to its next president. Um, and also then for myself after that, what was next? And I left with a clear uh, clarity, you know, like, okay, if I'm leaving the Carmelites and this is part of the journey and this commitment to God, you know, I left with the possibility of a life partner. I didn't know if that was going to happen. Um, and just so happened that I, I went on a date with now my wife who was living in DC at the time. And I drove my car out to DC and went on a date with her and, and it was a great date. <laughs> uh, you know, just really grateful for that. And, um, uh, and at the same time, I ended up uh, spending some time at, uh, just walked, I went over to Georgetown. I had been there before as a Carmelite working in campus ministry on my, um, uh, one of the, the years of service, a part-time um, with the campus ministry. And so I went over to Georgetown and I sat in the John Main Center. And the John Main Center is a meditation, uh, meditation center, an interreligious dialogue center. And I sat there and I said, something, something, something's here. Uh, and it wasn't like this big voice or this aha moment, but it was just tugging again, if you will. And I left that and I can still remember standing outside and calling someone I remembered who was connected to the center and said, hey, I'm here at Georgetown uh, making some life transitions and uh, I'm at the John Main Center. What's going on with it these days? And he said, well, the director left. We're looking for a new director. We don't really have a budget. We don't have any money, <laughs> but is this something you're interested in? And, you know, it was that combination that I said, well, let's just see. And there was no budget for a good year, um, but it was a great opportunity, you know, to, to have a practice that was part of my journey with the Carmelites that really spoke to who I was and am and the transition as well. I, I really struggled, right? The commitment to the, to the Carmelites is a commitment. And I had to struggle with, well, it was really a commitment to God. And those 15 years were living out that commitment with the Carmelites. And it was possible that I could still live out a commitment to God, possibly as a married man and now with a family. And thank, thanks be to God that's part of my journey now. And in your time, you know, you've kind of switched over to the chaplain for athletics role, but in your time at Georgetown, starting with the, the center, um, 
you, you lived on campus with, you know, what, what is that like kind of being a guy in the religious sense and trying to be there, but, but doing it on a, in a campus role, being there on campus? Yeah, Jeremy, it's a great role. It's the residential ministry role uh, at Georgetown. Uh, and it's really, again, an opportunity of accompaniment. And so we have a, a residential ministry department that has individuals from different uh, religious traditions that really just accompany our students. And so we would, when we weren't COVID, uh, we would meet with uh, the students in person on campus and just sort of listen to their experience. And then we would host them over in our apartment, my wife and I, uh, and either to a meal around the table uh, or uh, just for an open house. And it was fascinating because some of the communities that we would invite over, they, they had never had a full meal around the table for like say an hour. And so like the fact that we could provide a ministry at our table uh, and just listen to our students and have them together for the first time in say months uh, was really a lot of fun and a lot of laughter and some challenges too. You know, our students really, they hold a lot. Um, you know, especially we have some of our student athletes over as well. It's, it's quite a different space, you know, to hold for some of our student athletes, but really a lot, of, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good memories still making those now and looking forward to coming out of COVID and maybe returning back to having some, some students over. And, um, it's also quite interesting when, when the door to our apartment is like right next to the bathroom, uh, <laughs> or to the party room, just down the hallway. And, you know, they're doing a little ping pong, it's a different type of ping pong right at night. <laughs> Uh, but they were so respectful, and, and so um, I ran into a couple of our um, uh, students who we met early on who are graduating this year as well. I'm going to meet them actually next week for a coffee on campus, and uh, just grateful to, to walk with them and, and to hear all that's alive in their hearts, in their minds, in their souls. And uh, my wife and I love love doing it. Tony, an interesting thing that really big with in your ed, your area with Georgetown, uh, cura personalis, whole person. What does it mean? Yeah, yeah, Jeremy, it, it really is right. It, it comes out of that distinct care, particularly from the Jesuits. So when a Jesuit's going through initial formation, and even myself when I was going through formation, it's like knowing the individual and what's the care that they need, right? At that particular time, at that particular place, and. You know, I, I've seen that through the John Main Center. I've seen that in campus ministry. I now see that in athletics. Uh, I see that in residential ministry, you know, and, and really opportunities to uh, to meet our young people and our staff, right? And, and coaches as part of my role as, as a chaplain, but just to meet them where they're at. And uh, it might be a book, it might be a conversation, it might be a listening session, it might be a group, it might be connecting them with someone else on campus, but it really is uh, a deep listening to what are the needs of the individuals that we are walking with on campus. And then, I mean, Georgetown is a, a amazing institution with so many resources and, uh, you know, just trying to connect our students and coaches and staff and, uh, um, and administrators as well with those resources. I think for me, that's at the heart of Cure Secure Personalities really is a deep listening to the individual and also what might help that individual flourish. That's a deep part of our, our commitment at Georgetown. Tony, you mentioned you know knowing what these folks need and trying to help them. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. Obviously, when it comes to college kids and in a time like this, that has become maybe even a bigger thing than it was before. Um, your work in that area, tell us about that. Yeah, we're 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 blessed. Uh, Dr. Erica Force, uh, you know, is uh, leading up our mental health um, in in athletics, and, and Dr. Force is amazing. Uh, it's been great to work alongside with her. Uh, and I think when you look at a department that has both uh, Dr. Force, you know, it has myself in my role as chaplain or mission animator, if you will, 
you know, Marissa Robinson, who's working specifically with DNI, you know, my, Dr. Myra areas in the Cooper Leadership Program, and, and Shelly Hazel is working with, you know, the academic side. You look at, and, and Taylor Barrows, you know, obviously on the nutrition side, right? You know, all of those pieces, I think, all feed into the mental health, you know, and so uh, I'm grateful for Dr. Force and, and she'll, you know, forward some people to me who think, hey, you know, I've worked with an individual and I think there's a spiritual side to this as well that maybe you work with. Um, and for myself too is, you know, walk with student athletes and hearing some of their story and realizing, you know, I think there may be some more here that, that could be beneficial. And maybe there's an opportunity to strengthen this mental muscle too. Uh, and so I might refer that person to, to Dr. Forrest. And I'm also bringing, you know, it's been a great to connect with campus ministry at Georgetown. I mean, this position comes out of, you know, the Kalkagnini family and their generosity, you know, to, to mission and ministry. And so I, I do, come out of campus ministry, important athletics. And so part of that is to build the bridges with campus ministry. And so that is, you know, a, build, a big bridge is with our John Main Center still. You know, Lisa Director Davis is, is the director there. And so the meditation side um, and the mindfulness side, if you will, uh, uh, practices, you know, trying to share those with coaches and with staff. And, you know, we just uh, a couple times the, uh, we had five sessions with the soccer team when they were in quarantine, you know, about a month ago and actually a couple sessions with them uh, just a few days ago and so um you know just grateful for the the meditation and mindfulness side of mental health that as a chaplain and mission animator that i can also bring to the overall uh, service uh, of the department tony i feel bad because we're almost at the end of the interview before i get to it but how did you end up getting the job as the chaplain to athletics how did that come about yeah jim i i you know um Father Bosco, you know, asked if I'd consider, you know, applying for the position. And I, I was loving what I was doing at the John Main Center and its work and, and spent a lot of time discerning that and talked to some folks in athletics. And I think what really led me to apply for the position was Lee Reed, you know, and, and Lee's leadership. And, you know, when I went through the interview process, I was asking some questions and, and literally listening to uh, to that, that reality. Uh, and that was a big part of, of my, my uh, entering the process and really grateful. I'm sure they had some great candidates that, that were in, that put their names in the hat. Uh, and, uh, and when I came on, you know, when you went and met with Lee, he said, look, you know, first and foremost, I want you to care for the caretakers, you know, meaning our staff and coaches and just to accompany them. And what are the needs of the community? He said, look, I just want you to listen. Father Bosco said the same thing. Look, I just want you to listen to the company. Again, there's that theme again, you know, our department and just see you know, where, where are we at and, and where might you help uh, assist? And I think one of the great uh, celebrations is we had our first, we have our first coach who is finishing up the spiritual exercises. You know, Lee, when he came on board, had shared, he had gone through the spiritual exercises a couple of years ago and wanting me to, to be open to sharing that with the community, um, if anybody's ready. And so we have our first coach who is finishing it uh, actually right now. Uh, and it's a long nine month commitment uh, every day, an hour of prayer and then meeting with me for a uh, for an uh, for about an hour once a week, and just to hear and to experience his deep commitment to the divine, to mystery, to God, and how that's playing out in his lives with his student athletes. Wow, that's 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 flourishing. If 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 you want to see it, Tony, a couple more for you. I know that you're the first person to be in this position. There's actually a lot of that. We've interviewed that that list of names you gave. We've interviewed them all, and they've kind of all kind of in as the first of that as as Lee has kind of decided, okay, let's go ahead and do this. And they've had this blank canvas. In your spot, what was your original plan and how did that maybe change after you got in and saw some things and go, okay, this is gonna have to be tweaked a little bit? Yeah, Jim, I think I learned a little about my experience as president of Mount Carmel. 
Um, I was told pretty clearly in that first year, listen, learn, uh, listen, learn, listen, learn. You know, I think that was part of my first year here and um, and the listening and learning. And then, you know, literally in the middle of that second year, COVID hit, uh, which is surprising actually, because I'm even busier now on Zoom. It's a click away. And, and sometimes coaches or, or staff or even student athletes make more more comfortable, you know, with a Zoom session, which I've actually been quite surprised at. Um, so it's really been a lot of listening and learning and then uh, really building around the exercises, if you will. Um, and, you know, providing meditation or, you know, some mindfulness practices or, you know, we have several retreats, you know, throughout the year for our coaches and our staff and, and also for our student athletes. And we're finishing actually our third session, Dr. Rosaria and myself, uh, hosting our coaches and our staff uh, in what we're calling leadership and, and Ignatian spirituality community gatherings, really to kind of look at this past year. Um, it's an hour and a half session where we look at the past year and what have the constellations and desolations been? Uh, and then uh, this middle part is like, what's alive in us right now? What's real? What's in our hearts? What are we holding? And then this last part is like, how can we help the community and help the community help us? Uh, and we have some smaller gatherings. We'll have our fourth one in a couple of weeks. And I think that's something I'd never really realized that, you know, a year and a half, almost two years into this role that, that we'd be hosting gatherings, processing one, what, a pandemic, a racial reckoning, a political divide, uh, and really just a, a resilience of, of a Georgetown community, and particularly an athletic department that really is, uh, I think, responds well to Lee's call to be people of excellence and integrity. And that's a space that, you know, been trying to hold each day. Tony, we're going to wrap up on this one. And I know you kind of downplayed your football career, but you were an all-conference guy. You did play very well. You're a captain. You ended up coaching how important were those experiences of being a key part of a football team, of a, of a coaching a football team? How much has that helped you in your current role now? Yeah, Jeremy, absolutely. Right. I, I think that's, um, I guess when I look back on my, my career, I think, I think, I think back to Yale, you know, I think back to that experience and how grateful I was for the gridiron and for the players and the coaches and, and everything at the same time, like I had to fight to find a voice to help me nourish and nurture my spiritual life. And that was a challenge. Uh, and I think that's part of what I'm grateful for now at Georgetown that, like I said, the Kalkagnini family and, and others help make this position possible to, as you said earlier, to help translate our, our Ignatian values, our Jesuit values, our spirit of Georgetown values and the excellence and integrity that's alive in our, in our athletic department. And then to meet, our student athletes, our coaches and staff, where they're at, and to help translate what they're already doing on the fields, uh, on the courts, on the water. Um, I mean, you name it, but to help translate what they're already doing in the context of, when we say the greater glory of God, it's authentic human flourishing. And I've yet to find anyone in the athletic department who's not about authentic human flourishing. And so for me, I think when I go back on the career, that's what I think I've learned. And I'm learning now, but particularly I'm being taught by our department. Such a good conversation today. Tony Mazurkowitz, the Georgetown chaplain to athletics. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hoya Insider Podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks to all those who helped make this happen. I appreciate it. We'll wrap it up right after this. 
MetStar Health is the official medical team of the Washington Capitals, Wizards, 2019 World Champion Mystics, and your Georgetown Hoyas. But you don't have to be an elite athlete to get the same level of care. MetStar Orthopedic Institute offers orthopedic surgeons who provide the innovative solutions for your entire spectrum of orthopedic care. With locations throughout D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, we welcome second opinions. Visit MetStarOrthopedicInstitute.org. Georgetown fans, this basketball season, remember to keep it interessante, just like Dos Equis, the taste that first brought baskets and balls together on the hilltop. It's the beer that pairs perfectly with Georgetown Blue and Gray, and the only beer that's brewed to the Georgetown fight song. So grab Dos Equis for tip-off and keep it interessante. Hoya Saxa. Enjoy Dos Equis responsibly, imported by Cervezas Mexicanas, White Plains, New York. Copyright 2019, Dos Equis Beer Brands. The Hoya Insider is available on a variety of podcast platforms, including SoundCloud and iTunes. Check out at Georgetown Hoyas on Twitter and Instagram for details on new episodes. For our guest, Georgetown Chaplain to Athletics, Tony Mazurkowitz, as well as our producer, Joel Russ, and our executive producer, Barbara Barnes, I'm Jeremy Hubert saying so long. This has been the Hoya Insider Podcast presented by PNC.